Your son, he's gone. He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. Oh, look at this. This is a good one. Some suggest that Parker's powers include the male spider's ability to hypnotize females. Stop. Come on. <laughs> yes, my spider lord. <laughs> Can we just, like, stay up here all day? It is so crazy down there. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is, in fact, Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows, you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and welcome to your friendly neighborhood week and foolish movie podcast. My name is Mike Tang, and I will be your host for today's episode. Joining me are my fellow webheads, Albert, Job, and Paul. In this episode, we will be sinking our spider fangs into the latest and juiciest MCU movie, Spider-Man No Way Home. As always, we will start with a non-spoiler talk where we will have a general discussion about the film without going into plot details. And after that, we'll move into our spoiler discussion where we will take a deep dive into the movie. For our non-spoiler talk, we will discuss general thoughts and nothing beyond what has been revealed in the trailers. So uh, let's start with Albert. Uh, what were your thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home? Your non-spoiler thoughts. So I'm probably the last person in this group to have actually seen this movie because I saw it yesterday. So I'm actually still digesting a lot of my thoughts um, regarding the incredible events of the movie. But um, I think it's nothing short of incredible. I think it is the MCU's greatest achievement since Avengers Endgame. Uh, the fact that they were able to bring so many elements um, from uh, just the overall cinematic legacy of, of, of Spider-Man um, and more than that into a two and a half hour uh, adventure romp and, and develop their characters simultaneously is um, nothing short of remarkable. Uh, I, I think uh, uh just a few years ago, it was it was so tenuous as to um, this relationship that Sony had with uh, Disney and, and uh, Marvel Studios uh, that we you know, the question was, where do we even see this type of movie? And the fact that they came together to uh, create probably the most enjoyable theatrical experience any of us could hope for um, during this year, which is saying a lot. Um, is is um, you know I applaud them for doing so. Awesome, thanks, Albert. Job, what were your thoughts on Spider-Man: No Way Home? Yeah, um, so I kept leaning over to my wife and to you, Mike, in the theaters while we were watching this, saying, "I can't believe this movie exists." Um, it's one of those like miraculous things. Um, we know from just growing up now and learning about how business works and how media works, uh, how the industry works, just how wild it is to get certain actors together in certain situations. 
and the the fact that this movie pulls that off with characters i won't say anything more than that uh is just stunning um meanwhile it also still just features tom holland's peter parker so clearly and so with so much focus still um with so much heart and emotional gravity zendaya as mj and jacob Batalon as ned are also just still so likable in this film um I think this film garners a lot of respect from me for taking huge swings story-wise, and that pun was somewhat intended. Uh, it takes big old home run type swings and mostly hits on everything it's trying to do. Um, I've told several people at this point, I have never been to a movie where I have literally jumped, catapulted out of my seat, <laughs> screaming <laughs> with, <laughs> with my fist in the air. Um, it was like the Angels had won the World Series, which, as we all know, will never, ever happen in our lifetime. Um, but I got to experience that with this film. Uh, there are some, however, however, there are some elements of the story that have that gave me pause um, as I as I think more about it. And uh, as I re- recall some of the the dialogue in this movie, some of it veered into the uh on the nose territory for me in some ways um but ultimately still come away with this with a great feeling um it feels like a it does feel like a culmination event film kind of like an end game type thing rather than a film that is just that can stand on its own and i'm sure we'll talk more about that but ultimately great experience but not perfect and yeah, thank you, Joe, for sharing that. And I wanted to comment on the fact that you were screaming and catapulted out of your seat. Uh, I sat next to you in the theater and I was right there with you. Yes. Losing my mind and screaming. And uh, uh, the, the funniest thing is like after we all left the movie, uh, you know, I thought in my mind, oh, all of us are going to give this like four star minimum on Letterboxd. And then we, go, we all go home and we're all shocked to find Job's review a letterbox for this movie at three and a half stars <laughs> i'm like wait what how did you have that kind of experience but still come out of it yeah it's three and a half stars it's pretty good we will talk about it we will yeah talk yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh more of your thoughts in depth um all right paul what were your thoughts on no way home well thanks for having me and uh, i appreciate being on the one and only marvel uh episode <laughs> that That's I will right. be participating, <laughs> participating in. Um, but yeah, okay. Uh, there's, I feel like there's only so much you can say in a non-spoiler section, but uh, I will do my best. Uh, I think it was a genuinely great and well-made and entertaining movie. And I'm sure there's zero people on the fence about seeing this film, but if you are, let your uh, unfriendly r- neighborhood Marvel hater let you know that this movie is really fun uh it's it's worth watching wow um it was really entertaining to watch and kind of just going off of what (laughs) job and mike were talking about um this was one of the most memorable movie going experiences for me because i watched it with them and (laughs) i've (laughs) i've I've literally never seen any like sort of primal (laughs) reaction to a movie that I've seen from Job and Mike, like, like you really had to have been there. It's it, it, to me, 
it's it's like scientific evidence that we evolved from apes by watching how <laughs> Mike and Job reacted to seeing this stuff on screen because they were like straight up like monkeys, dude. Um, but I, I, that that Uh-oh. absolutely added to the experience. It was it was so fun to watch it with you guys. Um, but okay, in terms of the actual movie, um, so I mean the reason I'm here is because I, I make an exception to spider-man like he's just one of my favorite comic book superheroes so i will actually watch his movies in the mcu but um i mean yeah i mean this is definitely one of the most entertaining ones i still think homecoming is my favorite tom holland spider-man movie just because i prefer simplicity i prefer like more self-contained stories that are not super far-reaching um but i mean i think like what you guys said it's ambition and it's scale i think they all do it pretty well and without being too much like oh just just love everything that we throw at you i i think it does a good job of satisfying a lot of fans um i think spider-man works best when he's out of the shadows of the mcu and i feel like this film had just the right amount of quote-unquote mcu interference to kind of set up the story and then leave peter parker to his own devices Uh, obviously we'll go into the story but it is kind of a bit silly like when I was watching it I did feel like it it was sort of like a Saturday morning cartoon episode of Spider-Man there's just a lot of ridiculous stuff that happens that causes the the story to be put in motion but you know at the end of the day it's you're not really I I don't think you're really watching this film for the story I think it's more for the the beat by beat um, moments and and the reveals and stuff like that Uh, but even though I really enjoyed watching this film and I especially enjoyed watching it with you guys there, it still suffers from a lot of the pitfalls that make me f- like find Marvel movies insufferable. Uh, one of them being that everyone in this world is a comedian and everyone has to have nonstop jokes every second. <laughs> um, I, I, I do think that it's, you know, props to Disney for having optimism in the human race thinking that everyone is as funny and charming as every <laughs> character in this movie. But it was just like way too much for me. Uh, it was very grating. And honestly, it made me feel like um, like Emperor <laughs> Emperor Joseph II in Amadeus when he tells Mozart that his music had too many notes in it. I, I feel like this movie just has too many jokes in it. It's just like, and, and I feel like the jokes kind of sacrifice some of the emotional resonance uh, in, in the film, like when they want you to feel something and then, immediately like um, like a few seconds later cuts to a joke i'm like oh my god but um yeah so you know that's just something that's in every marvel movie um and i also found that um the cast of characters to be a lot better this time around i was not a big fan of zendaya's mj Uh, i found her to be insufferable in the first movie and also the second i in the second movie i didn't really believe their chemistry but in this movie, I actually thought she was a lot better. Um, I thought that she wasn't just some sort of sarcastic husk of a human being. Um, and I, I really enjoyed their chemistry around this time. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with Ned. So, I mean, Ned is perfect, so he's fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Tom Holland was was better this time too. I feel like he had more emotional depth to, to cover and, and a, a bit more of a complex character than opposed to like this this overly excited kid at everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall I learned that Spider-Man killed COVID, that Omicron was <laughs> defeated 
by his uh his powers and uh we should be all the more happy and thankful for that or, or enhanced who knows but it doesn't matter people are gonna go watch this this movie anyways but that's a deep deep uh reference there to amadeus by the way yeah. Law, so. <laughs> yeah. paul, uh, basically what we just learned from you paul is that you're uh you're just anti-fun uh you don't like to have, <laughs> you don't like yeah. to have any joy or happiness in, in your movies yeah pretty much go crawling much. back to dc okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. dreary uh dreary nihilism of the dc universe yeah like aquaman the most nihilistic movie of all time <laughs> the, my man <laughs> yeah yeah all right cool thanks for sharing your thoughts paul um for myself i mean you guys mentioned avengers endgame and that was the last theatrical experience for me that you know i had kind of like that that experience where you know i was getting up out of my seat i was screaming everyone around me was doing the same thing and what really what really uh, stuck with me with Endgame was that my wife missed out on seeing it opening night. She saw it a couple of days later and the atmosphere and the energy in the theater was completely different. Uh, so I, I've been looking for a movie like Endgame for the past two years. I've been wanting her to, to have that experience. And Spider-Man No Way Home was such an experience. It's the kind of movie where I screamed, nearly lost my voice next day uh this is a movie that's a culmination of 20 years and three generations of spider-man franchises uh, it's a movie i didn't think we needed as spider-man fans but you know i'm so grateful that we got it um so i i, I love the movie um and kind of like all of you I, I even though i i did enjoy it a lot and i had uh a lot of fun uh i think some of its shortcomings are very glaring and without getting into spoilers, I'm just going to focus on just one general gripe. And it's that Ooh. No Way Home kind of fits a little awkwardly in this Tom Holland trilogy. Uh, when you consider Homecoming and Far From Home, it just, it just, if you watch Homecoming, Far From Home, and then this, this feels like a complete like left turn from what the previous films had built up. But I think in the end, No Way Home does uh, the necessary work in moving forward uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker. And it does so in a way that I feel like it's, it is a drastic departure uh, from the previous movies, which are set in, in high school. Uh, and they kind of felt smaller in scope. But still, I think the character of Peter Parker does move forward in this movie, uh, despite like all the other stuff that happens and goes on. And I think despite its faults, you know, No Way Home, it, it packed huge moments and surprises that, you know, got me really excited. And I think those moments are truly unforgettable and they kind of just drown out whatever complaints I had about the movie. Um, I, I didn't, we've mentioned this on the podcast, but uh, Paul and I uh, have this uh, code of honor uh, of avoiding trailers. And I think avoiding yeah. the trailers was essential for this movie uh, i i didn't watch the second trailer and i'm glad i didn't because i think it revealed a little bit too much mm. but i think i'm also an advocate of do your homework uh because i think in addition to watching no trailers it's equally important to prepare for the movie by uh i i know job i think albert did you 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 did your homework too right what do you mean by uh prepare uh, so it's like uh you know we <laughs> Job and I did a rewatch of Spider-Man one to three, Amazing oh. Spider-Man one to two. Yep, dissected spiders. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> we had spider that's Fitus. dark man that's so dark <laughs> no i i watched uh spider-man 2 animes and uh i think i went through the amazing spider-man okay uh, like i skimmed through that one again Th- that was about it yeah I, I just i felt like re-watching them and having them fresh in my mind even though i've seen them like so many times that i remember those movies i think just having them fresh in the mind uh was really helpful uh in preparing me i think for the catharsis that you experience in this movie. And I know there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they, they didn't do their homework. Uh, they didn't rewatch any of those movies. So they, they miss some references and they're lost some on some points in the plot, or they just don't have the same emotional catharsis uh, that, you know, compared to those people who have it more fresh. So if you haven't seen no way home yet, uh, I strongly recommend that you revisit Sam Raimi's trilogy and Mark Webb's duology. Um, I think in the end, for me, this is actually the best Spider-Man movie yet. And I think this is my second favorite MCU movie after Avengers Endgame. Let's just uh, move on to the spoiler discussion. So spoilers will start now. No, no, you're still holding on. Let go. And there's actually a lot of stuff packed into the two and a half hour runtime. So I think for a movie like No Way Home, we're going to discuss it by going through each story act of the film and commenting on things as we go. Uh, we're not going to go beat by beat uh, throughout the movie, but rather we're going to highlight major things that happen in order. Uh, we're going to first begin with the first act of No Way Home, which is the opening scene to the inciting incident, which is, you know, the opening scene is Mysterio revealing Spider-Man's identity to the world and then to Doctor Strange's botched spell. Mm. All right, so uh, the opening, so the first act. Um, I want to hear your thoughts, uh, any comments, any things, major highlights from this part that you want to talk about. I thought it was probably all if we were to divide the movie into three acts, it's probably in some ways the strongest act. Um, it's not the most exciting um, for uh, for uh, reasons we're about to discuss but I think it, it really sort of sets up Peter's dilemma um, uh, about having his identity known uh, really 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 well like you kind of understand why this kid would would be so desperate to ask Dr. Strange to suddenly mm-hmm. you know remove um, uh, the memory of people knowing him as as Spider-Man I mean he's just a kid and he's suddenly being hounded by this, you know, Alex Jones type, you know, version of, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Jameson. Jameson. Jameson, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so not being able to live a normal kid life as he, um, was able to in the past two movies, but I, I think that fits in perfectly with, with this movie because I, I think, uh, in the previous two movies, he was more, you know, a spider boy, not a spider man. Mm-hmm. So it, mm. this, it, it really sort of kicks off this, this journey that he's going to have to undertake to, to, to really be on his own, which is, which is, um, which is scary. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the storytelling was pretty strong and I really felt for him and his friends, the, the fact that all the attention that they were getting. And I think especially when they started getting rejected from schools, it started to affect their future. And, uh, I think it totally makes sense, the motivation for Peter Parker, like you said, Albert, yeah. uh, because it's not just affecting him, but it's just it's destroying his loved ones and affecting their relationships as well. Yeah. Um, 
major highlight uh i think for me uh total totally came out of left field uh but charlie cox returning as daredevil yeah uh, what a surprise mm-hmm. that was the first big audience reaction uh in this movie yes it was yeah well dang it how i wanted to bring this up but now i realize uh have any of you guys been watching hawkeye lately yes yes you know, it was spoiled for me because I saw a thumbnail on YouTube. I was like, oh. and it says Kingpin returns to. I was like, what? And it is like Vincent D'Onofrio's picture. I didn't even like. Oh. I wasn't even looking for it. It just popped up on my feed. It's amazing how Marvel times these things, don't they? But yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 that was a major. I mean, I, you know, I didn't see the movie the first day as you guys did, but I, that was the first time people in the audience you know, gasped. And I remember jumping out of my chair at that part. So <laughs> yes. That yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, was a, that was a cool surprise because Daredevil is also uh, very uh, rarely one of the one things from the MCU that I enjoy. So seeing him was was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah my, I think was my... it technically MCU, you know, like there that's was the all question. these questions too. Yeah. 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 Maybe that's why you like it, Paulus. It's like not clear MCU prime. <laughs> no, I will. I, I feel like the implications. I'm just kidding. I'm going just forward kidding. is he will be and he'll just be catching a lot of bricks because uh, that's <laughs> all he can do in this world. Because there's no way he can fight the aliens and whatever. Yeah. Well, I think his his abilities are kind of like Black Widow, right? They're just really good martial artists. Um, but I think maybe Daredevils is even more heightened because he can sense everything can hear, around yeah. him. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm sure they'll have creative ways to figure that out I'm, I'm wondering how a show like daredevil which took itself so seriously how does it fit in to this colorful light-hearted franchise like the mcu like is this is this going to be the same version of daredevil as in the netflix shows or are we going to assume that this is maybe a different version of like you know maybe a variance with with that Ooh. franchise but with the same actor i mean he he he's apparently this at least this version of of uh of Daredevil, Matt Murdock seems to be a better lawyer. He got all those charges dismissed for Peter Parker in <laughs> like a matter of minutes in the movie. So true. Yeah, he's gotten better, maybe you know, in that's over the true. years. Yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting that you bring that up because I think that will be a main talking point for me at least uh, later in the third act because I think that's one of my big complaints with the film. Ooh. But but we will revisit that. Uh, and and kind of just I just wanted to go back. Uh, on kind of the media hysteria regarding, you know, Peter's identity and, and the first, you know, in the first act. And I, the, I, I see where you guys are coming from. I think that's a, that's a enlightening perspective for me. I, I felt like it was a bit drawn out because I, I feel like they only needed to show that stuff so that it provided emotional weight to the end of the second movie because I feel like they could have very easily just skipped over that stuff. It's like, oh, no, everyone knows Spider-Man. Okay, anyways. Um, so I feel like they had to kind of draw it out a little bit. And I think the whole premise of them not making it into the colleges that they wanted to was a little bit silly. Uh, just because, you know, I, I totally understand that the the trope of, oh, no, what if they target our loved ones because they know our identities now? I know that trope is very overdone. But I felt like they could have used that very effectively as opposed to, oh, man, we didn't get into college because they know who we are. And I, I don't know. I just felt like it was a very like I appreciate small scale story beats, but I felt like this was very misplaced. 
Um, but I will say like the, the moment where they all opened up their envelopes at the same time, I was like, Oh, oh shoot. Are they going to yeah. get in? But I knew Peter wasn't going to get in cause he's white and uh, college people don't accept white people <laughs> oh anymore. <my> <laughs> <laughs> small envelopes. That's what gave yeah. it away. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was common knowledge that small envelopes meant like a rejection letter. Right. So yeah. like, they, didn't, they didn't even need to open it. They just look at the size of the envelope and they're like, Oh shoot. You never That's know. True. You never know. Um, um I want to talk a little bit. Is it, is it cool oh, if I, Oh, no, I wanted to ask Paul, like, so oh, did yeah. you think, uh, did you think that, uh, instead of the whole college rejection thing, like there should have been more of a threat on their lives to make it even more like believable that he would, he would go to. Dr. Yeah. Strange? Yeah. Like, I, I think the part where, you know, he goes to Dr. Strange and says, you know, it's better if the world doesn't, you know, know who I am, blah, blah, blah. I think all that stuff fits. I just think that the events leading up to it, them not getting to college just didn't fit with that plot or that narrative, I guess. I think if they had done something like the villains attack, like any Spider-Man villain attacks, you know, Ned or, or MJ, I feel like that would have been a bit more like compelling uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to just like, so we're all going to go to college together. Right. Even though, everyone knows who we are. It's, it's not going to be a big deal. We're going to have our features all ahead of us. So I, I just felt like it wasn't in sync with what was going on. I, I think it's very hard. Um, the line they had to walk with this one because the two previous home movies were really about teenage anxieties and, and they mm. can't, they sort of can't abandon that because that's what the Tom Holland Spider-Man is all about. But at the that's same true. time, I think the MCU world, particularly surrounding Spider-Man, has, has gotten to be so large that they also can't, you know, scale back and go back to those those tinier stories. And I, I was thinking about how much Spider-Verse may have, you know, figured into that, right? Like after a Spider-Verse movie, you, that's when there were there was a, and they may have started working on their way home, you know, already at that point. You're, you're referring to... Uh... The, the Spider-Verse, the animated Yeah, film. yeah, right. I mean, and suddenly everybody wanted to see a live-action version of what, what the animated film do, did. So uh, you, you can't, you know, it, 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 there's the movie's constantly walking this tightrope all the way until it's end about, is this a movie about, you know, uh, uh, teenage anxieties or is this a movie about the, the bigger nature of, of, of being Spider-Man. And I, I remember hearing Tom Holland, I never thought about this um, until a few days ago, until he said it, was that he has always tried to play um, his version of Peter Parker as uh, you know what Michael J. Fox did with Back to the Future. And, mm. and, and I guess the, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, that's exactly how he's trying to play this character. But um, you know, at some point the character has to become, you know, the, 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 the um, more tragic hero, uh, version of Spider-Man that we all know. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think I think it is a very hard line to to tread because I, I think pacing for films like this, you can tell that the movie really just wants to push you into the exciting parts. It's like, okay, let's get the let's get the necessary exposition out of the way, and then we can start having fun. But I, I think even with the problems that I did have with it, I still think it you know it didn't take me out of the movie that much it, it really wasn't only it really was only until after i thought about it i was like oh that's kind of weird but like while i was watching the movie i was like okay i mean i get it it makes sense <laughs> yeah joe what were you gonna say before 
Oh, I just think that the the plot of them trying to get into MIT actually fits with the this iteration of Peter Parker's character pretty well because like Albert mentioned, we we witnessed them in high school, the first couple movies, and they were at a gift a school for gifted students. And so these are all really smart, um, high achieving students. Um, they even were in like a history debate club thing um, in homecoming. So like they were like the nerdy, like high achieving students. And so I, I kind of in the context of that, I, I bought that this would be really important to them. Uh, and because it's like they're just really smart students. And it, it, it would be like if you were preparing your whole life at, because you were a gifted, talented student and then you kind of lost your one shot after all of that. I could see that. But but I also understand that like it's not the highest stakes, especially with like what's to, what's about to happen in this movie. So maybe in the, the full scale of it, it is a little strange. Um, speaking of strange, right? <laughs> yeah. Wait, one quick oh. one quick no. MIT seems to be the school. Yeah, uh, to go Tony to Stark an school. MCU. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Killmonger right. also went, and yeah, oh yeah, they're wow. always referring to that school like it's Harvard, right? So yeah. yeah. Uh, just one quick note before we move on to Act Two. Um, Death Star, uh, <laughs> the Death Star yeah. Lego set uh, was destroyed in the Spider Man Homecoming. I just saw this online. I thought it was funny. Thought we'd oh. mention it, but there was another Death Star Lego set that was destroyed again in this movie. Oh yeah, which is the third film in the trilogy, like the uh, Return of the Jedi. I so they had, they had a little, like you know, Good wink, one. wink. Yeah, that's a great reference. Always yeah. has to be a Star Wars reference yeah. in these things. <laughs> this is this is our brand, you know. Um, can I talk a little bit about the the Doctor Strange and Peter Parker encounter? I think that is in first act still, right? Yeah, it's like end of end of first act. end of yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, maybe hopefully this can lead into. Um, I thought the whole scene where Peter meets with Doctor Strange was really well done, um, a really cool inciting incident. Um, I felt like actually it was really interesting. It was a little bit like Doctor Strange and Peter were both finding each other at vulnerable moments in their lives or identities as the heroes that they are, because there's a reference to. Um, how Wong just took on the Sorcerer Supreme title from Strange because he had the blip for five years. So it almost felt like he was like kind of dealing with feelings of inadequacy as a sorcerer. And Peter was dealing with what he was dealing with. And so they found each other uh, at low moments in their lives, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to like set the scene for like, yeah, let's try it. Like, what what is there to lose we've already we already our lives already suck anyways kind of thing um it was almost like two people who like just got out of relationships found each other you know like and they just led each other down a, a path of potential destruction so i just wanted to say that was a i thought that was a really cool way to set everything up yeah i didn't think about the fact that dr strange might be in a moment of crisis but yeah those that does make sense given that he lost his title and his like he was in 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 like pajama jeans and like joggers. Yeah, you know? he looked. Like I love that. Fat. I looked a little I so, fat too. I I love that whole whole scene <laughs> when they're in the sanctum and and they have like interns or something like yeah. shoveling slow. It's like, uh, aren't you? Can't you use magic? <laughs> Just yeah. like do things the old school right. way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. So, 
So yeah, let's uh, let's transition to the second act. This is the longest section in the film. So we're going to split it up into four parts. Uh, the first big movement or sequence in the second act is when you know the the spell is botched. Doctor Strange's spell is botched because Peter won't shut up, <laughs> and then um, the multiverse villains appear. And then so Peter's goal is to find them and contain them. Uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's comment away on this section of the film. Yeah, that was uh, that that was pretty whack. Like the fact that <laughs> Peter was just like constantly annoying him, and then and then Doctor Strange is like, "Shut up, shut up!" Oh no, I just altered the entire universe because you were annoying. It was just another one of the things, those things where I was like, "Really? Like this is how you guys are going to do that?" I mean. Uh, not not to take a dump on the Avengers Endgame, but it, it was like the same way that I I felt about how the like the rat kind of <laughs> initiates everything in the <laughs> in the correct timeline. I'm like, oh okay, so it's a rat that does it. But again, I was just I mean these are small things, but I just thought it was like kind of kind of lame. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense for like Peter, this, this iteration of Peter Parker's character, because he is, he is kind of an annoying, like high school kid, you know, just some, sometimes he doesn't know when to, it, I think in each movie, a lot of the issues are caused by him, right? Like if in far from home, he gave away Tony Stark's glasses, to this guy he just met, you know? Yeah. So uh, Peter's, he's still in high school. And, you know, if you've interacted with high school students, I mean, we all were in high school. So, <laughs> you know, you know better than most. Mike, yeah. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah, that is true. They don't have parts of their brain fully developed. Let's just say. <laughs> I, I just feel like if they, if it, it would have worked just as well, if he didn't like annoy him and Dr. Strange was just like, oh, shoot, something went wrong with the spell. And like, that's it. But, I mean, what what is Doctor Strange doing casting such a crazy spell in the first place? <laughs> I mean, that has to be right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think he does get called out on that by MJ. Uh, like, he yeah, half your he's the true villain in this movie, really. <laughs> I, I was thinking that you know, Doctor Strange. I mean, he's a surgeon, right? So he had to go through this process of applying to a really good school, and like, you know, like couldn't he have at least counseled him in terms of like based on his knowledge of you know, how the education system works. I mean, he kind of did. He did. He, he, he did. did. Yeah. yeah. Afterwards, after right. the spell. But he... <laughs> I think he assumed that Peter would have, would have already done it. But yeah, Peter, but being like every, you know, entitled kid of his age, you know, they just think, you know, things are supposed to happen to them yeah. or something. So This, this but, but goes the... back to like how I think that Dr. Strange is in a moment of crisis because like Wong is like, don't do it, man. And he's just like, well, F you, I'm going to do it because like you just told me not to like, I think he's in a bad place. Honestly, like I keep going back to it. <laughs> I think like these, the, the leaps in logic are explained by like how he's, he's just down in the dumps and maybe um, Dr. Strange's arc is going to keep going in future films. But anyway, I, yeah, I just thought maybe, it was, yeah, it made sense. Maybe Wanda will rebuke him in the next movie. <laughs> Yeah, she had I, irresponsible, <laughs> so many irresponsible, powerful people. I feel like the advice that Doctor Strange gave Peter was also nonsensical to begin with. He's like, "You mean you didn't call the university and and appeal to to get in?" I'm like, "No one does that. No one in the college application process, unless you guys all did this, and I didn't do it. When I got rejected from UCI, <laughs> I didn't call UCI and be like, "Excuse me." 
please give me a second chance. Like that's not how the college application process works. It, it is. I mean, when he mentioned that it is like a known process, but I, I know most people probably don't do that, but I, I, yeah, it, it is a possible right. pathway. Yeah. I've heard of it. Like I've heard of maybe one or two people. Interesting. In my okay. Outer maybe, circle doing it. Particularly maybe you would. High yeah, achieving like, students will would do it, you know, because yeah. that's not going to stop them. But yeah, yeah, all you, you have to do is do stop around first, the street. Right? <laughs> hmm? You would at least do that before, it, like trying to cast a multiversal spell, right? Like you would think. I mean, I mean, it, it, this kid I, has access to. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That yeah. is true. That is. But you know, you know, I think it also it kind of speaks to the fact that, like, you know, we we want to take shortcuts in life. You know, you cheat on an exam, you you lie, and in this case, Peter's like, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I know this guy. That is true. Oh yeah, I would 100 abuse Doctor Strange if I was him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so the multiverse villains appear, and I think this movie has a ton of fun with the fact that Tom Holland's Peter Parker and his friends, they have no context for these villains. Like Peter Parker <laughs> refers to Green Goblin as a flying green elf. <laughs> and uh, I, I love how the movie gets a little bit meta. You know, it kind of pokes fun at the fact that Spider-Man's villains are all science experiments that have gone wrong. <laughs> yeah that was pretty good they all fall into something or something. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and i mean when when uh when he accidentally transports that tree into the 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 jail cell ned, ned thinks the tree is actually like a scientist who uh transformed himself into the tree i thought that was that was pretty funny um but i think this part also gives us things that we never got in the original spider-man films which is norman osborne willem dafoe interacting with otto octavius alfred molina uh, we knew we knew they were from the same franchise, but they never got to share the screen together, and and we got that in that scene. I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, there's a real cool fish uh, water element for both the heroes and the villains in the second act, where everybody's trying to figure out what's what's going on, and and that definitely leads to some really awesome encounters between you know the villains of the previous two, uh, are, you know, uh, Spider Man trilogies or series um and yeah that's that's just so much fun to watch and it also reminded me of how good alfred molina William Dippen, yes you know jamie fox and they they whether you know the villains were well done in the past and they were always played by really good actors and and um i'm, I'm kind of glad that some of them sort of got a second chance and this movie's all about second chances by the way to to sort of shine which was cool like i wasn't really attached to electro in the amazing spider-man 2 but I, I found found him to be you know a little more interesting um this time around for right. example in uh, amazing spider-man 2 he's pretty much uh, impersonating jim carrey from right. batman forever <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, this is what we think a scientist is gonna be yeah yeah so, yeah um I, I i do like the fact that norman osborne uh smashes the green goblin mask and in this movie they use willem dafoe's face for the green goblin because that one of the face is like the green goblin's face like you don't need you don't need like a uh, like a mask you know for that um i think i think it, it's particularly interesting how uh they're not just plucked from you know a different uh universe but they're actually uh they're actually plucked from at different points in their own timeline like sandman comes from spider-man 3 right and he has the most recent knowledge of the fates of Norman and, and Otto since he's from Spider-Man 3. 
And Max knows what happened to Lizard in Amazing Spider-Man 2 since he's from the second movie. Uh, so I, I love how the movie works with the audience's familiarity with the, the previous films. And I think I think one thing that's really stunning to me about this, this sequence is that uh, the MCU has basically legitimized and canonized Sam Raimi's trilogy and Mark Webb's duology. Um, I, I, you know, during the sequence, I, I really started to think, like, how am I, how in the world am I going to show these movies to my kids? Like, what is now the correct order? Like, you don't start with Iron Man 2008, you know, you go back, you got to start with Spider-Man 2002 now, you know, and then you got to, I, I would say, like, show them Fantastic thinking, Four, dude. Was that? Show them Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah. The, the one with Chris Evans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Human Torch. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, currently I'm thinking about taking them uh, through, you know, maybe order of release. I think that probably makes the most sense. Um, so we'd have to start with, uh, yeah, the Raimi trilogy first before we get to Iron Man. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I you bring up an interesting point. It used to be that the the great question, if if you're a parent, is how do I show the Star Wars movies in order? And now. Now I think uh, the MCU has sort of given us a much, much convoluted uh, series of films to decide what order to show in. So I think it's appropriate though that now, now in terms of the MCU canon, um, Spider-Man comes first because that's really, I mean, Spider-Man and X-Men uh, from 2000, right? Those are the two movies that kicked off the modern era of superhero movies. So I think it's appropriate to start there. Um, yeah, you're already preparing for X Men. I see. Fascinating. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I think it's worth preparing. I, I feel like it's worth watching those movies because you you never know what they might do. You know. Oh, they're showing up for sure, dude. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. They're showing up, dude. Like the original actors. Yeah, like, yeah. Like Patrick Stewart or James yes. McAvoy. Oh yeah, yeah. Not okay. a doubt in my so mind. So they're not, you don't think they're going to reboot X Men? They're going to they're going to use those existing characters. Oh no, no no no! They will use new actors, but they will also bring them back okay like, yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah for sure it, there's no question x-men's coming but it's just i guess i guess it when they introduce the multiverse the question is like who's which version is showing up you know the answer is every version every version <laughs> is going to show up in every movie that's look, just how it's going to be look yeah. i i know we're not supposed to talk about the third act but i will say that having <laughs> having a you know the andrew garfield spider-man give the toby mcguire spider-man a, a back crack is look anything's possible after that okay? yeah. <laughs> never Gosh. in my wildest dreams yeah. thought oh that scenario is possible yeah so, yeah. yeah so i thought I, w- I thought i was in a fever dream like as i was watching that yeah, you we, may we'll, have we'll, get, we'll get to that we'll get to yeah that. We'll get, we'll, let's not jump sorry about yet. that we gotta we got build it up you know come on albert yeah. okay. i know i know all right <laughs> so second second act part two uh so the, this is the part where peter and aunt may were actually aunt may uh she she insists that peter tries to help these multiverse villains uh rather than sending them back into their own universes to die because uh, they, they were zapped into Tom Holland's universe, right? Moments before their death. So um, I want to know what your guys' thoughts are on this. Cause yeah, for me, this is where the movie kind of took a dip. Ooh. Uh, I mean, she runs a homeless shelter. So that logic. Yeah. Right. From her perspective makes, 
makes sense, right? And 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 I think when we think of Spider-Man, we think of him as not to do another Star Wars reference, like a Luke Skywalker, someone who <laughs> who just wouldn't kill, right? He wouldn't just cast people out or think that they're irredeemable, no matter how far he's sunk. So she's sort of setting the stage for um, for uh, for Peter Parker to to take on those those characteristics. The way they did it did did feel rushed. You know, because but um, I I think it's in line with what Sue is already. Uh, I think they started. She started Feast, which is you know um, the organization she runs in the last Spider-Man movie, if I recall. So it kind of for me, it kind of follows that that logic. I just kind of wish we had more time to flesh out that part. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it made sense to me. Yeah, I feel like Aunt May kind of embodies both Aunt May and Uncle Ben in like previous iterations. I think she is a very good like parental figure to to spider-man and it her her decision even though it does seem ridiculous like it does line up with her character so i think i i had no problem buying into that um but i i I guess i wanted to kind of use this opportunity or this part of the story to talk about one of my biggest complaints with the film uh which is that i don't think any of these characters with the exception of green goblin feel anything like the previous versions of their character um maybe maybe i'm completely wrong on this because uh, i didn't do my homework i didn't watch the previous films but like when doc doc Ock came out and he and then like they capture him and he he was like what is this what's going on who are you and like saying all these like all these jokes and like all these he just feel like i just felt he had like alzheimer's or something i was like I don't remember Doc Ock being like this, you know, and then, and then, you know, Jamie Foxx's Electro, you know, I, I was sitting with our friend John and he leaned over to me and he was like, Jamie Foxx's character is just like his character from Baby Driver. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's totally his character right now. And he's nothing like his character from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, and, you know, thankfully he isn't because that character was awful. Um, and of course it wouldn't have made sense in the context of this film, but there was just something that was kind of gnawing at me at the back of my head, just saying like, if you're going to bring these characters back, but they're nothing like their previous iterations, then I feel like it, it's almost not worth bringing them back in a sense. And I think just even the impact of having lizard and having Sandman, like for me, they, I, I feel like if you took them out of the movie, it wouldn't have dipped in quality. Like the, the, the film would still be just as good as it is now, but I mean, you know, of, of course you, you wouldn't take them out because, you know, thank God I'm not a Marvel executive or producer. Cause I know everyone wants to see that, but I just felt like they almost contributed nothing. Uh, and especially the fact that all of them, aside from Willem Dafoe, who was, you know, awesome as green goblin, I feel like all of them were just completely different characters. So I, it was just really hard for me to buy into like, oh, like it is amazing to see them all on screen, but it's like they're completely different people, at least, you know, when I was watching it. I I, I, I half agree with that. Um, I think um, for me, Dr. Octopus, I could buy into it because he was sort of the villainous Dr. Octopus. I think the problem is they took that villain side of him out much earlier than than, you know, even I thought they would. And he's back to being sort of the noble scientist. Uh, but I think you're right in the sense that I don't remember 
the good Otto Octavius and Spider-Man 2 cracking that many jokes. Uh, for I think the biggest change that I saw were with the Amazing Spider-Man villains. Uh, the Lizard seemed a lot more, you know, corny villain villainous. Uh, yeah, wait, uh, he talked, right? right? Doesn't he not talk in the first or in the actual? He movie? doesn't talk as much as I recall. He does but talk. He does, oh, he does okay, talk. Okay. He does talk, but gotcha. he, I don't know if he has you know those villainy type one liners as much. And obviously, I mean, I agree with you. I, I didn't really like Electro and Amazing Spider-Man too. So I mean, they had to go a completely different route um so yeah i mean I, I think kind of really sandman seemed the same to me his you know which kind of made him less interesting in a way because it was like you know he's back to that guy see my daughter kind of i mean yeah he didn't have much of a character know. to begin with right. so yeah 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 i think i bring this up because uh you know you have an entire rogue gallery of spider-man's greatest villains and some of whom are like murderous psychopaths and your first thought is to fix them. You know, to me, it just that whole sequence just felt kind of naive and a bit unbelievable. You know, I I, I feel I had to, I feel like I had to suspend my disbelief in the section of the movie to really buy into what it was doing. Um, I actually started to my enjoyment of the movie started to dip during this point because mm. I, I felt like you know Peter didn't have any hesitation in letting Mysterio die. You know, in the previous movie, so like, where does this compassion all of a sudden come from? and his like insistence on trying to save them uh, to the point where he's willing to battle Dr. Strange, you know? Um, I, I did remember though, later on that, okay, he did try to save Vulture in homecoming and he tried to warn him of, you know, his thing was going to explode and he did save Vulture. So there is that. Um, I just, I thought it was just a little bit unrealistic that you have like, like half a dozen characters <laughs> that are like kill you any second and you're just going to believe that they won't try to like murder you or try to escape. Side really, note. Yeah, uh, sorry, I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Side note. I, I, I think it was a missed opportunity to not have Vulture return because part of the reason I like homecoming so much is I think Vulture is one of the best, probably the best villain that Agreed. Uh, the MCU has produced. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And, and I think it was definitely a missed opportunity because I think he could have added a lot to the story because he, he knew who Peter was like before the big true, reveal, but true. he chose to keep silent. Um, so I think that could have definitely been an interesting component of the story. So I'm surprised that they didn't, aside from like the beginning flashback, they didn't really like do anything with him. I, I felt like, um, the the idea of using the villains as foils for like uh like oh you know this is how good peter parker is he wants to help like the these unfortunate people it's like these aren't like homeless guys on the street like this there's a guy with mechanized arms that like used tony stark's <laughs> uh nanotech without any question you know like i just didn't I like I agree with you guys. It just kind of felt like what are we what's what's going on here with the motivations? I didn't understand it. Um, and I felt this is what I'm this is actually a big part of my complaint with this film is I started to feel the meta-ness of it all um, when I started to see this. I felt the like the like let's get all these awesome classic iconic villains in here to help our current character look better. Um, whereas like these aren't just throwaway villains. These were like the classic iconic villains of 
the previous films, but we're, we're bringing them all in now to like serve the MCU machine almost in a way. Um, and I felt the meta-ness of this, and this was, will not be the first time in this film that I felt like, okay, they're, they're doing this because of a certain like reason that will like make money almost like I could feel a little bit of my cynicism for like the industry popping up with this one. Um, and, and I was really sad about that. And, and like, yeah, like why does Electro look different? He, because, because he does, because the previous design looked terrible and we're going to fix that with this one. It felt like they were trying to fix a bunch of things, which just doesn't sit well with me in like, like in a lot of, franchisey type things these days is like they finally fix luke skywalker they finally fix this like trying to unwrite like creative decisions that were made by previous filmmakers that like whether they intended to like really make great creative decisions or not it still feels like let's why are we trying to fix everything anyway I'll, I'll stop because they can now. because they can <laughs> and exactly exactly the, the mcu in particular has turned into a an art They've they've made terrible movies seem more relevant and, and better in retrospect. If yeah, I mean one, one yeah. thing in retrospect, right? Like Iron Man three and what they did with the Mandarin in that movie, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean in retrospect now in twenty twenty one, like they completely fixed that, and now that movie is much better because they went and addressed that. You know, now we have a real Mandarin and we have some backstory on what happened. I think, I think because it saved Iron Man three, like I actually am grateful that they they tried to. They tried to, and they succeeded in trying to fix that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think every creative decision is necessarily a good one, right? Like, and I think when you when you see the fan reaction to things, you can kind of get the sense that okay, maybe that didn't quite land. Um, and you know, if you have the opportunity to go in there and to make these changes, like, why not? Like, I think I think it it, it bolsters your franchise. I think. Um, I mean, to be fair, comic books do it all the time, and these are comic book movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 fixed Spider Man and unpopular decisions every five or ten years. I mean, that's why we have a Final Crisis <laughs> event every several years in the DC comic book universe. Yeah, these movies are just basically doing the same thing. It just starts to feel like none of it matters eventually. You know, like at, at least to yeah. that that's that's where I was like kind of battling a little bit of myself because I wanted to really enjoyed these moments and and i and it still was but anyway i think we'll talk more about that later yeah i i completely agree with joe like i it's like i'm listening to myself talk right now because (laughs) i i I totally agree with it just with what you're saying but i'll i think we'll get into that more later yeah there will be more of this later yeah yeah um i think one of the issues the issue that i didn't really have the same issues as uh i guess job and paul but i think one issue that i did have was the fact that these villains you know i, I felt like the movie was kind of saying that these guys are not actually evil but they're actually victims of failed experiments in science or you know hubris or whatever and i i feel kind of conflicted with this because i think these guys are freaking bad dude they, they they're like mass murderers you know and i think you know Maybe one way to look at this narrative is that Norman, Otto, Kurt, you know, all these guys, uh, they're brilliant but flawed and they have their own varying degrees of hubris. And then maybe their failed experiments kind of brought those things out and amplified that part of their nature. 
I think maybe if you look at it from that POV, maybe I can agree that, you know, any person uh, can be placed in certain circumstances and then they have the potential to commit the same kind of crime or evil that these guys did. Um, and I think although, you know, the movie's reasoning and setup for Peter trying to change them from good guys, I mean, sorry, bad guys to good guys, I, you know, even though I, you know, I feel like it's a little bit shaky. I think in the end, the spirit of, redemption is very strong like it it approaches these villains as like hey these guys are bad but you know they're not irredeemable like well, let's give them let's advocate for a second chance for them and i i was thinking i'm always thinking about western culture today like we don't want redemption for people we actually want people to be destroyed and erased from existence right whenever wrongdoings are brought to light and especially when they're made public uh, you know, it's always met with demonization and cancellation. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think people need to be punished for wrongdoings, right? Uh, but I think true compassion should lead uh, towards working towards restoration uh, for I, the character. I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, um, I mean, the movie, one of the movie's themes is all about second chances, right? Right. I, mean, I said right. that before. And they, and they sort of be, be over your head with, with that, um, mm -hmm. with that. And, um yeah i mean we can talk more about that in our third act as well too yes like the, the literal symbolism that gets involved so all right uh let's go on to second act, uh part three <laughs> and this is the this is the juiciest part this is the part that leading up to this movie we all uh we all were kind of wanted to to see i think maybe we had different differing levels of expectations for me personally, I, I didn't want to believe that this was going to happen because I did not want to be disappointed. So in my mind, I was like, okay, Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, they are not in this movie. Uh, I, that's, the, that's the mentality that I was going in with. Although that's I had crazy, to, dude. I tried like to bury, MJ. I buried the hope in, deep inside. I'm like, they're not going to be in this movie. I, I don't want to. And then, yeah, when that portal opened and then you see the Spider-Man with the big eyes, I, dude people in the theater they all knew they all knew what was coming and so this is the moment that the world was waiting for right this is the reason why this movie grossed 260 million broke all these records uh not just domestically but globally the return of toby Maguire and andrew garfield as spider-man all right let's 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 talk about this well mike first of all i gotta add to that this i think this movie's definitely going to break a billion it's already at 660 yes uh, yeah. only within the first it. opening weekend yeah. yeah but uh man without china and that's the craziest thing for, that's like, the craziest thing only the second only the second movie to reach a billion dollars without and china. even that even spider-man wow. is a very popular character in china so I'm, I'm not sure you know obviously it's hard to tell nowadays i'm not sure what the status of, of that movie being released my assumption is it will be released in china but uh that it's uh i yeah it's definitely going to break a billion uh, remarkable considering the times but yeah i um so i did expect uh the other two spider-man to show i mean it's it's been rumored for a really long time and you know where there's smoke there's fire i i think what i was surprised that was them coming in as early into the movie uh as they did because that 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 signaled to me that oh these guys were were pretty damn involved uh during the production of it and um We've had talks off of this podcast about it, but my feeling on the Amazing Spider-Man movies are we're that they were terrible movies, but I love Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man yes. way more than yep. I, I love uh, uh, Toby's. Um, 
Although I have, a, you know, a lot of uh, appreciation for Tobey Maguire doing what he did because he was the big first on-screen Spider-Man and, and that's a lot of pressure too. But uh, to sort of see Andrew Garfield jump in and, and just start wisecracking was was a pure delight. I, 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 I know I only saw this movie yesterday, but I'll tell you the entire audience screamed and it was a great, great feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think Sony marketed this movie really cleverly because they didn't they never said outright and all the actors denied the fact that this was happening but but i think by including the rogue gallery in the movie and including them in the advertisements and you know the premiere and all the interviews i think they gave us enough to wonder leading up to this movie i mean that's the reason that's Mm -hmm. really the only reason why this movie exploded the way it did this past weekend when it came out um did you guys feel like this was just pure fan service or uh yes but so what (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes that's great (laughs) or or was there a purpose behind it or did they just drop this in there just because you know they wanted to make a billion dollars i think there was i think it was both like like it it's gonna make a lot of money but at the same time there was a purpose you you had a peter parker that and i think we we we, uh, we may have missed this talking about this part but aunt may you know um does die prior to that right 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 and so you have a peter parker who's extremely lost and alone and who better to understand him than yeah you know peter parker how how did you all yeah let's i I guess uh i'm sorry that we gloss over that but uh why don't we talk about the death of aunt may really quick um did you guys see that coming uh how did you guys react to it like emotionally definitely didn't see it coming that that was pretty unexpected for me uh, and I think no one should ever say the phrase with great uh, power comes great responsibility anymore, because if you say that you get killed. <laughs> she did say um, it as she was dying. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I, I, I thought I, I felt the emotional weight of that for sure. Um, I was just thinking this happened so early in this movie, like what other heartbreak is coming um, for horror old Peter. Um but it definitely felt like he he had he was already dealing with the weight of just the world against him and he had may and he had mj and ned and that's about it and and i guess happy in some ways so losing may who's like his biggest cheerleader of all probably was like a huge weight and the fact that it was goblin that that caused it was really interesting cuz um it kind of sets up that um what is how is peter going to react to this guy now after having gone on this whole thing about curing everyone and taking giving them all a second chance but one of these guys freaking killed aunt may like i was like oh i wonder how this is going to play into his his uh mindset on the villains going forward um and and it, it does it does affect a lot of how he views this later on in the film it also stays true to the kind of rite of passage that every Peter Parker has to go through, like experiencing loss, because Tom Holland's Spider-Man was the so far the only Spider-Man that didn't really, I feel like, experience adversity. His, his character was more just like he got things handed to him because Tony Stark was like, hey, join the Avengers. He's like, OK, you know, he, he's never had a moment where he had to face his face his fears like this. So I thought it was a good moment for him. And, and it was placed uh in a in a good part of the film as well 
it's interesting because I think they were trying to make Tony Stark dying that big emotional moment. And I think they were realizing like, that's not going to be it. Like that's, I mean, he had a good relationship with Tony Stark um, and a lot of far from home was about that, like dealing with the loss of Tony Stark, but like um, this was, this is his family, you know? And, and I, I agree with you. This was his first real loss. Um, right. And, and Tony's death was actually, I mean, that was his own decision to sacrifice himself. Yeah. So it wasn't the same kind of loss that this was. Um, but I think bringing in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield is, it's extremely purposeful, right? Because here he is, he wants to kill Green Goblin. And then you have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield stepping in to each share their pains. And also, especially Tobey Maguire, who got to kill uh, the guy who killed Uncle Ben and that did nothing for him, you know? So, yes. uh, and, and, you know, my wife's favorite character in this movie is actually Tobey Maguire because he's he's entering in here as an older man, an older Spider-Man, uh, you know, in his like mid 40, mid to late 40s or something. Uh, so I, I just, I love the the gravitas, the the experience that he brings to this spider team. Um, so, and, you know, speak of that scene where they're, they're talking to Tom Holland, trying to console him, you know, the, these guys didn't just show up and collect their paycheck. Like they came and acted, you know, like Andrew Garfield, like Gwen Stacy's death in amazing Spider-Man two, that was such a, a powerful moment for me, even though the movie, yeah, you, you can say whatever you want about the movie, but I, I shed tears in that movie because of Gwen yes. Stacy's death. Uh, it was so well done. And uh, Garfield is so good in that role, as well as Emma Stone. And um, I think Garfield just was able to channel all of that back. And I'm so glad I rewatched it before watching this movie because yeah, I totally felt it. Yeah, this yes. year, uh, particularly with Andrew Garfield, I'm starting to realize how great of an actor he is. I, I did rewatch uh, Silence in the Social Network earlier oh. this year. And then I also watched uh, Tick, Tick, Boom recently. And, and that guy's on fire. He, he is... You know, uh, the only great thing about Amazing Spider-Man 2, and we've talked about this for me, was that chemistry that he and um, uh, Emma Stone were able to to sort of convey uh, in their characters. Uh, it, it's it's the most believable relationship uh, in all the Spider-Man movies, in my opinion. And I think uh, that's that's uh, that's that's why I think it was great to see Andrew Garfield come back and, and get that second chance, you know, as as a uh, as Spider Man again. I gotta give a shout out to uh, to Ned's uh, Filipino uh, Lola. Like, yes, that was so. I felt so represented as like a Chinese Filipino person. I, I thought I was listening to my grandma talk a little bit. Um, I love how a, they didn't. They, I love how they didn't put subtitles in. Also, yeah. and they had they had Ned translate for everybody, and it, it was even funnier. you had this like historic cinematic like moment <laughs> that you have Tagalog in there, which is yeah. like, it's big. It's, it's so it's much really fun. Big. Yeah, I yeah. love I love the fact that they did that. I I yeah. thought that was so cool, and it 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 made it hit home a little more for me even because, um, it's like this is and uh, uh this is Spider Man coming out of a literal portal into like someone's home that like could be easily the one I grew up in so I thought that was really cool and him just like joking around or like um trying to prove that he's he is a Peter Parker like sticking to the ceiling and stuff that was so and he had to clear clear, clear out the cobwebs that oh, was yeah. like really hilarious but um 
And I thought it was cool that when Toby shows up that he and he sees the other Peter, he just senses that he has to like shoot him with his web. Like mm, they sense yeah. like this weirdness about seeing each other. Or maybe they had seen an imposter before in their own universes too that we don't know about as well. It's a tricky thread you just like laid there. It's a little web I just spent. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> say. <laughs> I, I love the fact that we have the acknowledgement that Toby Maguire's Spider-Man <laughs> shoots webs out of his body. Yeah. Yes. And, and they, they talk about it once or twice. Yeah. And then he's yeah. like, whoa, you can't you guys can't do this. That was a controversial thing. I don't know if you guys remember when yeah, yeah, for they sure. decided not to go cartridges. Like people were freaking out about that way yeah. back in 2001. So, yeah. So, so I hate to poop on this love fest parade, uh, but oh, this please do, is please do. This, this is part two of my biggest complaint. This is why we film. need to skip Bayless on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, the guy who doesn't love fun. Um, but yeah, I. <laughs> I, I completely agree with like the effect that, you know, seeing these three on the same screen together had, it, it's just like, it's, it's an un- unbelievable feeling for sure. Um, but to me, something just didn't sit right. And that was just, you know, seeing them interact with each other and talk with each other. And I came to the realization, or I had this feeling that also just like the villains from the previous movies, mm-hmm. I feel like that Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker's that were shown in this movie were not anything like their previous versions. And in fact, not only that, I felt like they were just different iterations of Tom Holland, like Tom Holland's Peter Parker, but at different caffeine levels, basically. Like I felt like Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker was, was like sort of, sort of like a Peter Parker from uh, civil war, just very overly excited, very, very like, constantly joking very very happy and then toby Maguire was like if tom holland took a nyquil or something he was like very <laughs> like chill but still had that humor that all three of them had so seeing them kind of bounce off of each other in, in those scenes where they talk i was like it just feels like the same character talking to each other like in three different ways um and i i, I know you said this earlier mike where you know um movies sometimes don't make the right or good creative decisions. And then you can, the power of the MCU is that you can use it to kind of fix that. And I I think that's true. I think you can use that in a way that, you know, empowers previous films and things like that makes them better. But I kind of, you know, when Joe was talking earlier about how it's his cynicism was stepping in, this is where I really relate to him because I felt like, this film kind of punches down on the previous films in, in, in some ways, like there's a scene where they're talking, you know, they're sharing their war stories and then they're saying like, Oh, you know, Toby, how come like, like you, like you couldn't shoot your webs for a while or something like that. And he said like, Oh, you know, just some existential crisis, you know? And I feel like that is, it's, it's a small backhanded joke, but I just feel like it kind of disrespects the previous movies that came before it uh, in a way and just kind of like belittling, the things that they went through even when andrew garfield's like oh you know like i wish i fought cooler villains compared to you guys you guys seem like you had really cool villains and, and all that stuff and I, I feel like it was just kind of the like disney and, and marvel's way of saying like yeah like our version is the best and and your guys version sucked and you know and like 
you know, I, I think it's true. Their version is the best. And then, you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man movies are consistently the best, but I just felt like it was a little bit much for me. Um, even though you can use creative decisions to fix movies, I feel like I appreciated each and every Peter Parker and their franchise for what it was. I, I enjoy the unique takes on them and how they felt very different from each other. Uh, and just seeing them kind of talk to each other in those scenes and how they all basically melded into one Spider-Man. That's, that's when it kind of lost me. And I was just like, man, I kind of wish they, you know, respected the previous films more, even though they're not as good, but I think that's what makes each of the films special and, and, and the ones that come after it because they approve upon like the things that they learn and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, th- there's just those kind of moments. I was like, ah, I-, I don't know if I'm feeling this. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I, uh, yeah. So I think, I think Mike, for one, I can, Mike, I can see your mind churning. Let's <laughs> talk and go. <laughs> well, for, okay. For, well, so Paul, Paul, for one, uh, these aren't the same characters from their respective movies. Cause th- these are sequel versions of those characters, right? This isn't Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man 3. This is Tobey Maguire 14 years later. Sure, sure. Yeah, and this is a Toby, This is Andrew Garfield seven years later. So they're not the same characters. They, they both went through stuff that we didn't see after their movies. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're not... I, for me, because I recently rewatched it, I felt like Andrew Garfield was fairly consistent with who he was in Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Um. He is that high energy, like really quippy, lots of jokes. Uh, when he is Spider-Man, that's who he is. That's the persona that he embodies. So I don't know. I, I felt like that was, I didn't, I didn't notice anything off about, about Andrew Garfield. And I think Tobey Maguire, I mean, it's, he's in his uh, 40s now, mid 40s. So I think my expectation was that he would be a little bit more seasoned and a little bit more, I, I guess, restrained than, than the, the other two. Yeah, and I appreciated how they kind of did. They did kind of show that, but you know, at the same time, uh, you know, what I'm saying is like, I, I think they were all like Tom Holland, like they the way that they talked and the way that they got excited about things. I was just kind of like, yeah, I, I'm not buying this. Like, and I understand that you know it's years into their lives, but it's like, how did the two of them, through whatever we didn't see off screen, end up making them become just like Tom Holland? You, you know, could In it be? Fairness. Could it be? Could it be that? <laughs> They, they're all playing Peter Parker, right? They're all version. <laughs> I mean, that is the character of Peter that. Parker. Yeah, right. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, I was going to say, no, no worries, Mike. I was going to say they, I think they had to do this from a, a screenwriting perspective to make it feel like they are the same person. They are all Peter Parkers. Um, and I think that that can be understood from like the storytelling standpoint. Um, I also feel like, uh, it, it kind of is a very relatable thing. It's like if you meet people, I don't know like if you've ever had this, but if you meet people that you instantly like jive with and have chemistry with and become friends with, or there's something like really familiar about them, you like start to take on each other's mannerisms pretty quickly. Um, and of course, this ha- that happens over like a few weeks of knowing each other, but this is like Sure. Super, yeah. super, super accelerated. Mm-hmm. But I felt like that was a really relatable thing. You suddenly meet people who are so, so alike to you and you start to like take each other's mannerisms on. I, 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 I know where you're coming from, Paul. And, and I still have elements of that, that I will talk about later with the cynicism part of things. But um, in this instance, I felt like it was, it was un- understandable and deserved. And I had to give props because they did, we, 
on the drive there, me and the people I was in the car with were saying they better reference the 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 like pointing at each other thing. Like they yeah. better do it or else <laughs> I, this movie will be ruined, you know. And they did it. And I I actually <laughs> I think I actually that was the moment I jumped out of my chair actually was that moment out of all. Anyway. So. Yeah, I, I mean, Paul, Paul, like, you know, I don't agree with you, but I agree that I mean, I, I'm glad that you are, um, you know, you're voicing your 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 stain. <laughs> My wrong opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It, it just it makes for good discussion, I think. Um, yeah. I, and, and I totally get like where you guys are coming from. It's just it's just the moment like they started talking with each other. I was like, oh, my God, they just marvelized these characters. And, and, and I. I understand like what you guys are saying as well. And I think it makes sense in the context of the movie, but it just really took me out of it uh, because, you know, I'm used to seeing, you know, like them as their more distinctive characters. Uh, I I think Tobey Maguire was definitely, I think he was handled a bit more uh, differently, Uh, but just seeing Andrew Garfield be like that excited. I was just like, dude, this is literally Tom Holland from civil war, but um, yeah. All right, shall we move to the yes. uh, the final showdown and the third act? Let's just kind of, we can lump them together. Uh, so the final showdown is the end of the second act. And then the third act is where, you know, everything kind of is resolved. Uh, we have, so uh, final showdown, uh, the three Spider-Men uh, uh, f- try to cure, or in their words, cure some ass, right? So they, they try to cure uh, all their respective villains. Uh, they learn how to work together. And then, but then there's this thing that happens. Green Goblin blows up the spell box and that causes the uh, multiverse to be unleashed. And Peter has to make that decision to erase everybody's memory of who uh, he is, uh, which, which resolve that issue. Um, I'm, yeah, I want to hear your takes. Um, Any cynicism? The scene uh, where, um, I mean, I guess, well, I don't know how you guys felt about this this scene, particularly after our last discussion, but I, I, I probably one of my favorite moments of the movie is right when that spell box blows, blows up, uh, MJ falls. And, oh, yes. And, uh, uh, Tom mm. Holland's Peter Parker fails to catch her, but uh, Andrew Garfield goes for it and saves her in a way that he couldn't do with Gwen. And mm. uh, I was really touched by that moment, actually. Oh, for sure. I, I thought when, when, um, um, MJ asks him, "Are you okay?" In the way his 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 face kind of contorts, like you know, there's all these emotions sort of on his face. I I thought that was great. That that really really touched me. I, I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I I thought it was like such a good way to give the Amazing Spider-Man series the ending, a bit of an ending, emotional catharsis right. that it deserved. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything else was pretty. Pretty freaking crazy. I can't believe they were going to add Captain America's shield to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> you know, for one thing. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> was that was that referenced in like a previous Marvel like show or movie? Uh, Hawkeye. Yeah, it oh, was. Okay. Oh, Hawkeye. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, they I, mentioned I, that. They did. Yeah. Also, Hawkeye reference. I, I, I'm sure you saw it, Albert, but the Rogers musical. Yeah, I did. Was the in the Rogers background. Musical. That was great. That was a great. Little... It, it, it's funny how, like, in this post Endgame universe, they're lionizing Steve Rogers in the way that he probably would have actually hated, but, but yeah. they're doing it. Anyways. That is America's ass. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go back, go, go, expand a little on the the uh, Andrew Garfield saving MJ scene. Um, 
I, I felt like so much emotions with that moment too, legitimately, because I had watched the, that, that movie like two days before, I think. So it, 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 it felt really raw. We just lost Gwen in the most horrific way. And I felt like getting to see Andrew in some way, it wasn't going to solve it all, but like um, to, to get absolution in a way for, for it was really touching. But I will say the moment was ruined for me because I heard like a bunch of girls in the theater going, like, oh, like, like during that part. And I was just like, come on, guys. Like, no. That was good. No, that was going on all over the theater. Uh, yeah. I, and <laughs> never, I, I, I fully acknowledge I was the howling baboon, like for like a lot of the, the, the parts before this. So I was just, I have no right to say this, but it did kind of like, it's the pros and cons of watching it in, a huge crowd you know but yeah I, I felt that i felt that yeah one 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 quick note i want to make about watching a movie opening day or if a huge crowd is is uh that's usually when my tolerance for the things that usually annoy me about other theater go yeah just kind of goes down a little because you know if you're watching star wars on the opening day or yeah or or avengers type big movie at you know people are just gonna do yeah. all sorts of noxious things but the problem is it's not just one person it's it's the everyone around you so at that point you know you just kind of give up that's true it, it i have no right to say it. i just felt like saying it. i don't know <laughs> i think some other highlights i guess from this uh final showdown uh we have mcguire toby mcguire meeting otto octavius like a spider-man 2 reunion uh and the acknowledgement from otto that oh hey peter you've grown you know, like you're yeah that was you know, nice you've yeah. Grown up. yeah that was really good uh, so acknowledging this isn't the same Peter Parker from Spider-Man 2. This is uh, from like a future iteration of him. Yeah. Um, I think also uh, Andrew Garfield talking to um, uh, Max Electro, which I thought <laughs> who had the strange, like all of a sudden he he lost his powers. Like, all right, you know, I'm a good guy. I'm, yeah. I'm, good. I'm good now. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> that was a little hard for me to take. Oh but my God. I, I think, it, I think, so many of this, so much of this movie is just made to set up things, right? Or, or to be in the service of something else. Yeah. That scene was really in the service to sort of like plant this idea that there's a black Spider Man. There's a black, there's Miles. <laughs> uh, and they, but they kind of did that in the first Homecoming movie. They did. Yeah. Aaron Davis true, is in there. True. Aaron Davis is in there. So, yes. Oh, and yeah. I, I just came across the deleted scene from that movie. Did you guys see that? No, I've seen all the delete scenes, but I don't remember all of them. Well, it was um, Aaron Davis was still glued to his car, and he he calls someone and says, "Yeah, hey, like I'm I'm just stuck. Like I'm not gonna make it, Miles. Sorry." And oh, he, so I I I was like, "Whoa, that was in there, or it could have been in there, but maybe they're saving it for something else." Miles Morales, I think he, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. Ooh, there's uh, more. Yeah, there's more theories on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think one final highlight that I have um, is, you know, when to Tom Holland's fighting Willem Dafoe's Green, Gob Green Goblin and, excuse me, and um, he's about to, like, kill him with his own glider. And the person who stops him is Tobey Maguire. Mm -hmm. uh, just like, <laughs> I can't believe we got this movie, you know, and, and like so much of it works. And. The way they they use certain characters in certain moments, and I thought this was like 
an incredible moment because like mm-hmm. just it goes all the way back to the first very very first spider-man movie you know uh so really really loved that um yeah I, yeah, it's, it's really great. They're kind of, I mean, the, that first, it almost felt like he was just, I mean, redeeming himself for what happened with the Green Goblin in that right. first movie, right? He didn't want him to be killed by his own glider again. So yeah. his, his stepping in. Yeah. So. Oh, sorry. Or, uh, yeah. Paul, Paul Bailey's had something to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, ironically, that was the only part of the movie that made me laugh. Uh, and <laughs> and and it wasn't because you know he was he was about to kill him uh i mean the, the that part was very emotional and, and toby mcguire saving him was great but the only reason i laughed is because i shared this with mike already but when he was like being the crap out of green goblin the kid sitting behind us was like yeah kill him peter <laughs> and, then, and then that's that's what i laughed because i was like I, I think this kid's been watching the the, a different movie compared to the rest of us because his, his moral compass is all over the place because he was like yeah he's like punching him and then the kid was like yeah yeah do I'd it. watched I'd watch that kid <laughs> I keep a close yeah, eye on him yeah. so. oh my yeah. gosh wow uh, clearly uh, yeah the, the message did not reach that kid lost. <laughs> yeah yeah that, um, that was crazy I actually think the fights between Peter and the Green Goblin were incredibly intense. Wow. So good. Not even just that last one, but the previous one before it too. Oh, he really kind of reaffirms like, wow, this Green Goblin's, you know, he is sort of the main villain of all these movies in a way. Yeah, This is not my original thought because I've read it elsewhere, but it's like someone was saying Sony and Marvel realize Green God, they'll never make a better villain than green goblin so they just mm. made him the the best villain in this one again <laughs> although i still hold that dr strange is the true villain of this film <laughs> yeah that that scene where he was like punching him to the buildings i was like okay i see you <laughs> i'll see you norman yeah <laughs> all right the third act uh resolution oh. peter uh basically his existence is erased no one remembers who he is and I think this is where Spider-Boy becomes Spider-Man, uh, where he kind of just sucks it up and he, you know, he has great power and this is his great responsibility. And he shouldered all of that. Um, I thought that was awesome. Um, any, any highlights from this part? I mean, obviously, the, the, the very last sequence is pretty great. Yeah, that is true. It's, um, it's amazing how alone he is suddenly. And, and and in the previous two movies, he was the least lonely Spider-Man we had seen up to that point. Right. Yeah, I think it's uh, I like the direction that they put it in because who I mean, who knows what's going to happen since Tom Holland signed for signed on for three more movies. But if the direction that they're going with is that it's going to be more self-contained again, I'm all for that. I think Tom Holland would really excel in that role. But with that being said, like when he chose to have everyone forget about him, uh, the ending, like when he goes to the coffee shop to talk to MJ, they had like zero emotional weight for me because I was like, this is going to get resolved at the end of the next movie. Like MJ (laughs) and Ned are all going to remember who Peter is in Spider-Man 4, whatever they call it, whatever, if it's home, home second trilogy, it's going to get resolved as soon as possible. So I actually, I actually have a theory on what they could possibly do to avoid that. Um, ooh. so yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, a- any other thoughts on the third act? Yeah, this might be where I have the most thoughts and, um, where I, I fully poo on this movie. Um, 
so every act I thought was just good uh, to great. There were, you know, had some issues here and there, but this is where it lost me. Um, I, I, I just feel like what doesn't sit right with me is that that idea of mind wiping the world uh, is such a, I know it's supposed to be on paper. It sounds like the biggest challenge for Peter Parker. Um, no one remembers him, but to me, I can't think of a more uninteresting story element to go in than let's allow Sony to have its way with this character for a few movies. So let's just wipe everything out. Like, Oh, it, there's a reason no one remembers him now or, Oh, we can make our own movies now. Like this is where the meta crashed into the, into the, um, the, the fictional world for me way too much. Um, I just feel like, I don't know. I couldn't like sit, sit. It didn't sit right with me. And I was starting to feel actively angry as I thought more about this. And I, I just didn't like it. I, I, I felt like, I was becoming Tom Holland beating up Green Goblin, except like in my mind or something. Is, is this I how just, your letterbox score started dropping? Yeah, that is. Could you elaborate a little bit more? Like what yeah. about this? Okay. Is, yeah. Was it like too cheap? Like too cheap of a solution? No, I could. No, it was more like I could just feel the like we're doing this because we don't know if we're going to make more of these like. So let's just wipe everyone's memories so that maybe it if Peter Parker never shows up in the MCU again, there's a reason for it. But if he doesn't, then we'll just like bring it back in a different way. It's kind of like what what uh, Paul was saying, like they're they're going to resolve this in some way and there will be some form of this getting resolved. But like I just, it just felt like let's just do like the most convenient way to like get ourselves out of this if we just don't come to an agreement somehow. Um, and I know that 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 sounds super cynical of me and I, I get it. And I've thought about it for a few days now and I'm much more at peace with it. And it could just be that I was so emotionally broken. I didn't want MJ and Ned to forget Peter. That just hurt me so much. But You're then together it, in real life, though. So. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is good, which is good. But like, you know, I, I think maybe I was just so hurt by it because I, I love these characters um, that I thought. This is so uncompelling, but I also did feel a little like, like, okay, this is just their way of writing themselves out of a corner. Just, just in case, although we know this movie is going to make billions of dollars, but just in case. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it just felt a little cold and corporate and it, it, that along with like what, how they like use the villains to kind of build up this Peter Parker just felt like a little too much for me i get that that's not like everyone's approach to this but that's just kind of how it settled with me for a few days at least i've got i have good news for you job uh they're gonna remember him at the end of the next movie <laughs> no <laughs> i know yeah. see that's the thing it's like dr strange is gonna figure out like oh there's gonna be some way where he actually remembers everything and he's gonna go on a quest to like fix the multiverse yeah. and then it's gonna you know I, I actually i don't think they're gonna all remember him i don't think that's gonna happen and i, I think the reason why this had to happen is because uh, like an essential piece a component of any spider-man story is the fact that he has a secret identity and so i think to restore that in order for more future stories to be told uh in the same spirit of the other spider-man 
stories, uh, you have to have his identity uh, become a secret again. But he um, had he always had someone like who knew him. Sure, as, and then as and, and so so that that goes into my theory again. for yeah. what, what they're going to do, how they're going to proceed. Um, you should so, tell it. Uh, or well, you want to you want to wait? Okay, uh, I want I want to talk about post credits. Yeah, let's do it. Let's really do it. quick, oh. really quick, because I mean it's not it's not super huge or anything. Uh, yeah, oh, I have anything. like four pages of notes it's, on the. It's not. The, it's not like. Uh, it's not like the Eternals <laughs> post credits where like we had no idea what the heck they were talking about. <laughs> Dropping new characters in, and we're like, okay, who the heck is this? Harry is Styles, this? come on! <laughs> and it worked for a lot of people, apparently. Oh, oh, dude, Harry Styles showing up. I was like, oh, it's that guy from Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. That- we are all back right, on uh, brand. We are back on brand. <laughs> all right. Uh, so first post credit scene is uh, Venom. And uh, this <laughs> made absolutely no sense. Zero sense. <laughs> Doctor Strange's spell brought in people who knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. This guy, Tom Hardy <laughs> from the Venom <laughs> universe, there's no Spider-Man in his universe. So why would he get pulled into to the oh. MCU? Wasn't it because of the, the hive mind? Wasn't it because of uh, the ending of Carnage where he like sees him on TV or something? I, I didn't watch a movie. I, I just no. Just, oh, just Carnage. He, at the end of Carnage, something happens. Like there's an explosion outside or something, which is basically essentially the multiverse crack that pulls in people who know yeah. Peter Parker. But uh, he there's no Spider-Man or Peter Parker in the Venom universe. So why would mm. he be pulled oh, okay. in? Ooh. I see what you're saying. Well, in... <clears throat> In Venom, I, I did read up on this because I was just as confused as you, Mike. Um, in the Venom movies, not that we paid atten- much attention to them, um, there is a mention of how Venom says he has a, an awareness of other Venoms in the, the hive mind across mul- uh, multiple universes and, and realities. And so I think in some way that's how they brought him in. Clever one one sentence way to cover that. Yeah, I know. I'm not excusing it. Not excusing it. (laughs) Sure, sure. I I do remember that line, and I guess yeah, that does that does make sense. Um, but But it's still weird. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think his only purpose in showing up in the MCU, and what sucked is that I thought that Tom Hardy would would like face off with Tom Holland, um, in the MCU, but that's not going to happen. Instead, he leaves a little tiny piece of the symbiote. And so I guess uh, we're going to get Don't a Mexican, Mexican Eddie Brock, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Venom is life. <laughs> Venom is life. <laughs> what if it, it becomes this comedy where it's like kind of Nacho Libre-ish, like with, with Tom Holland and that guy? I think... <laughs> Uh, for I those of you who actually, don't know who we're referencing, uh, the actor who plays the bartender is from Ted Lasso, who has yeah. this famous line, football's life. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Um, Oops. I, I actually logically think that a Venom storyline would make a lot of sense for the next for the next Spider-Man movie. I would I would love that. Yeah, because he he truly is alone this time. I I, I think uh, he's gonna have to deal with the emotional ramifications. And if yeah. if there was any character in the Spider-Man movies that needed fixing, it's freaking Venom, dude. <laughs> Again? Yeah. <laughs> Again, <laughs> Albert. Third times a try. Uh, third times a charm. Well, well, according to Sony, Venom doesn't need any fixing because it's just making tons of money all the time. So that's that true. true. They're just doubling down yeah. on that that formula that they have. They pushed they pushed the release up because they were that confident in in Venom. It's crazy. Yeah, and it made a ton of money. 
All right, let's talk about uh, well, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, oh, this was actually not really a post-credit scene, but actually like a teaser trailer. And then we haven't seen something like this done in the MCU since Captain America first. Since Avengers. Captain America, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Of. Yeah. yeah. Um. Any any thoughts on the a teaser trailer before we kind of uh, wrap up and talk about the future of Spider-Man, where we think Spider-Man's heading? No comment. Let's- Looks like a wild ride. I, I, I'm glad I, I watched uh, the What If series because I recognize yes. about like, is who, Magneto showing up in this? I, I mean, <laughs> is Mephisto in it? Yeah, oh, that's Mephisto that's confirmed. Like, oh, yeah, Mephisto confirmed. <laughs> yeah, that... I mean, yeah, it, it sounds. It looks like it's gonna be a wild ride, and it's interesting to see Sam Raimi returning to the. Oh, true. Marvel, yeah, that's true. Marvel universe in a way. It looks fun. I I thought like they just put. Peter Parker through an endgame level, like dramatic experience. And so with endgame, they didn't have any teaser or like post-credit thing out of kind of respect for what just happened um, in the movie. So I was like, why are they doing this now? Like, uh, I don't know. It just felt like the Marvel machine must go on, I guess, you know, and we're going to watch every single one of them. Brother. Yeah. It does feel like it's going to be the (laughs) one movie that will tie in. Uh, more of what's been going on, right? With Spider Man and WandaVision, yeah. and right. MJ uh, will Loki. remember in in the it'll it'll be the post credit of Doctor Strange. They they remember. <laughs> they don't even give it another Spider Man movie. She just remembers <laughs> at the end of Doctor Strange. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, I think. Uh, well, okay. So let's um, future. let's talk about the future of Spider Man. Uh, where do you think Sony and Disney go from here with Spider-Man? I mean, I, I hope they recognize that they have a winning combination. I mean, I don't know how many successful movies they have to do to to tell them that their partnership is a good one. So, um, I mean, I, I do definitely think they're going to spin off. Um, Sony is definitely going to try to spin off uh, the Tom Holland Spider-Man and like what Joe was saying into its own series um we have another villain movie coming up with um uh, morbius yeah and uh yeah i mean i i i'd still like to see tom holland uh more integrated uh aligned with the uh disney mcu because i feel like there's still some ground to explore particularly his relations uh his spider-man's relationship with with Doctor Strange, I, I really like that last bit in the end where mm-hmm. you know, they accuse Doctor Strange of being cold. But at the end, despite the multiverse crashing down on him, he does give, he does ask, you know, uh, Peter, uh, are you sure about this? Like he recognizes the humanity of the moment. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's really hard to tell, to be honest. There was think- a little bit of an out. Uh, that Doctor Strange seemed to give himself earlier in the movie. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Peter's like, oh, I changed it five times or something. and Or he says six times, but Peter says five times. It's almost like uh, Doctor Strange changed something else like secretly in the oh, spell. Oh, I mm. didn't notice that. That's a good point. It's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Anyway, sorry. I, I think, um, you know, I, I've been going on Twitter and, and just... You know, I'm following tracking like the box office performance of this movie because it's really exciting to see how well it's doing. And I've mentioned this before earlier, but you know, if this was just another Spider-Man movie, 
with Tom Holland facing off with a singular villain. This wasn't going to break records like how No Way Home did this past weekend. It wasn't going to be this phenomenon that we're seeing right now. And I think Sony has to be looking at this and seeing the demand from fans for previous iterations of Spider-Man, right? The reason why this did so well is because we knew that Tom Holland, I mean, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were, were showing up in this movie. And uh, my prediction, my theory is that uh, they're going to make a huge splash. They're going to announce, I feel like they're going to announce Spider-Man 4 with uh, Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Mm. And they're going to announce Amazing Spider-Man 3 with uh, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, there's a petition going around. There's a huge yeah, petition. I, I already see articles about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a, yeah, Mike, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, and they could do both. They can run both of them, both sequels concurrently. And, you know, the current climate that we have right now in Hollywood is legacy sequels, right? Uh, I, I looked this up in the last 10 years, we've gotten at least 20 legacy sequels, right? Um, you know, The Force Awakens, we've got Creed, Mad Max, Fury Road, and so on, right? Amongst others, many others. Uh, I think a cool catch would be Maguire and Garfield returning to their respective universes. And then basically we find out what, what, what's been happening, you know, with them. We catch up with them. You know, Andrew Garfield alluded to the fact that he was going down a really dark path. Like, let's see that. Uh, Toby Maguire has a complicated relationship with MJ, I'm assuming. So, you know, let's pick up where they left off. And, uh, it might be interesting if Maguire returns to a world where Norman and Otto never died. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, well, there's do, a question about that too, because of the movie. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities that they could take advantage of uh, because of what this movie does. This movie kind of can serve as a, like a soft reboot on those two franchises. And you know what, Sony ever since 2014, right? Let's remember back in 2014, Sony was desperate to create their own shared cinematic universe right they wanted amazing spider-man 2 to kick off sinister six mm-hmm. you know sinister six for those of you who are not familiar it's a movie that would feature six of spider-man's greatest villains and um you know they could potentially create their own crossover with mcguire and garfield and you have tom Har- tom hardy you got jared leto's morbius i mean they could come up with something even though those movies are pretty stupid but they could yeah. come up with something <laughs> well it's pretty clear they're going all out, right? I mean, right. Yeah, yeah. there's those projects, plus we know the next Spider-Verse movie will be in two parts. Right. And mm. They brought Miles Morales, so there's a whole thing you could do there. Right. I mean, they could yeah. they could cross... Okay, so, you know, in Into the Spider-Verse, right? We had Miles Morales with an older Peter Parker. Well, guess what? We now have a live-action older Peter Parker in Tobey Maguire. So you could introduce Miles Morales in a Spider-Man 4. You know, so there's. I, I just feel like there's so many pieces here that Sony has to play with. I, I'm just hoping they 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 make the right play here, and, and uh, they have the potential. I mean, I asked my wife, who's not a huge movie fan, would you go see Spider-Man Four with Tobey Maguire? She's like, yeah, that'd be really interesting. You know, so I think there's definitely a demand, a thirst amongst the fandom to see these guys back in those roles. I I, I just hope that they don't. Um... Sony doesn't overplay their hand again. I think it's very important yes. to note that this is <laughs> really the only blockbuster that has really, really outperformed expectations um, in our pandemic era. Uh, I, I think there's a reason why people were like, 
you know, we'll squeeze into a theater to watch Spider-Man. Um, but we're not going to watch West Side Story. So <laughs> I think they need to at least <laughs> examine why this was a particular uh, case for them. Because I, I do think these movies aren't just movies. They're, they're like events. So Right. All right. Are you ready for the Paul Bayless take? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Yeah. I didn't know you had a take. Let's go. Okay. So <laughs> before I say what I say, I, I preface this with the fact that I am completely aware of the fact that I am in the 1% minority opinion on this, but I think the implications of this film takes it in a very fearful direction for me. And I think the future of cinema in general uh, not to, you know, obviously like overhype or like make my words seem super impactful or anything. But I, I do th- I do think that seeing the box office numbers of this film essentially for me debunks the theory that people are uh, uncomfortable with going to the movies because these are some insane box office numbers, even if there wasn't a pandemic. And that just means that people don't feel uncomfortable going to the movie. It just means that they're very picky about what movies they go to. And, you know, one of the biggest problems that I had with Endgame uh, and especially the end of Infinity War was that, like, there's no true stakes at the end of the day. Um, I think the, the way that um, this, this film handled the multiverse and all that things essentially opens the floodgates for saying literally anything is possible at this point. Because, like I was saying, like, remember when Tony Stark sacrificed himself to defeat Thanos? He's coming back, baby. Remember when Hawkeye tripped Black Widow and she fell off the cliff or whatever the freak happened? Guess what? Black Widow's coming back, baby. Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's literally no reason for them to just have to live with the consequences of the previous films. So whatever emotional impact you may have felt then, it it doesn't matter because any of them can come back at any given moment. Uh, The multiverse essentially makes movies the closest it's ever been to the comic book medium. And like what Albert was talking about earlier, he was saying, yeah, you know, like sometimes in, in comic books, they just go all over the place. And how do they solve it? They just have a hard reset. They're like, let's just have another final crisis where, where the flash, you know, speeds through time and, and brings everything back to what it used to be, you know? And so essentially I think what that does is it creates more movies where there is the illusion of high stakes and then you bring in all of the elements of what everyone wanted to see. And then at the end there, it's, it's fun. Like, you know, just to remind everyone, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I know I've been spending a lot of time, you know, criticizing it and nitpicking it for sure. But I had a lot of fun watching it. But, you know, just thinking about it afterwards, I was like, every movie is going to emulate this going forward. Like every movie is going to do this. And one of the things I thought of was just, you know, as a stupid joke, but I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 10 years they make a Shawshank Redemption 2 where Andy Dufresne comes back and has to like break out of jail again. It's like, oh my God, you know, it's just like, (laughs) just like all these like ideas for like freaking stupid movies with bringing like, oh, you remember this guy from the first movie? Well, he's back, you know, and kind of like what you're saying, Mike, uh, like legacy sequels, that's so hot right now. And now it's just going to spread like wildfire, like movies that you thought never would have wanted like should have done it in the first place they're going to do it and and to me the biggest concern is that people only want to see these movies uh you know we've talked about this in the past in our in our facebook thread that spider-man no way home is going to save cinema 
And even now I can only half agree with that because Spider-Man is going to save cinema in terms of films of this genre. And it's going to phase out any other small time movie or any sort of independent film or, or something that has a creative, like uh, takes creative risks. And I think those films instead are just going to go straight to streaming. And I, you know, I thought a lot about my movie going experience watching this movie and it was so fun to watch with you guys. And I also thought about movies that, you know, experiences where I went and watched uh, a more, you know, smaller piece of film, independent film and walking away being like, I'm so glad I saw that in theaters. And I just feel like that's not going to happen as much anymore because people will follow where the money goes. And I think this ability to just create films that fix previous ones and be like, hey, check out the the brand new, like the, sh- the new shiny movie. And now you're going to love it. And, you know, it, I couldn't help but think about just wait for it. The, the freaking last Jedi dude and rise of Skywalker, <laughs> because I thought, I mean, I've never even seen rise of Skywalker, but I I've heard enough about some of your guys complaints with it is that rise of Skywalker was created to kind of fix the things in the last Jedi. And some of you guys lo- love that. Some of you guys hated that. And I feel like that is going to be a future trajectory for a lot of films where they're just going to be like, Hey, you know how we messed up that one movie that one time? Well, we're going to make another one, bring all of them back. But this time it'll be good. And I think I just thought of like all the things that I held dear to like, you know, like all the movies that I think, Um, because I I specifically remember telling you one time, Mike, I was like, you know, it would be so cool if they created a Batman movie where like Ben Affleck, Christian Bale and Michael Keaton are all in it. But now that I think of that, I'm like, I do not want that movie to happen because I think that would make (laughs) it's going to happen. I think, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. And it it, just thinking about it makes me shudder because they're going to be like, Hey, remember Christian Bale? You know, he did this. He's not wearing any hockey pants, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, Oh, (laughs) I I just feel like it's going to destroy what I, you know, thought and held very dear to me. But, you know, of this this rant may totally seem like an old man yells at cloud type of thing, and I totally get it, but I I couldn't help but feel this way. Like that, I think that's yeah. I, no, I Paul, I think what you you your worries about uh, the future cinema totally legit, and and uh, it, I mean I, I you made me think about what ironically uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who you know has been the Marvel movies said recently about how a movie like you know he likes you know being in superhero movies but he 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 did say something to the effect about how hard it would be for like smaller movies to make it or if or if a movie like the godfather could even uh, be made today and um i think we live in an incredibly uh, paradoxical time right now where where you know a lot of people are going into the movies to to see movies like spider-man no way home uh but sort of squeezing out um, a reason for uh, smaller movies to to either be shown on the big screen or have a longer than a two week theatrical window, uh, which is um, a little disturbing. But and I say paradoxical too because in a strange way, streaming has also ironically made it possible for a lot of mo- stories that we wouldn't have totally. cared about to 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 sort of exist and be mm-hmm. seen by more people but it, it is not a theatrical experience right um, yeah right the image is you know as large as it can be so yeah 
So I, I kind of want to bring up, Paul, like I appreciate you sharing that sentiment. Uh, you just po- poured a bucket of like ice cold water on this podcast. Don't worry, guys. I won't be in the anymore Marvel <laughs> yeah. podcast. No, no. I, I, but I appreciate that sentiment because I, I do think, uh, I think if we just kind of come down from the cloud of Spider-Man No Way Home, I think if we kind of just see the landscape of cinema right now, I think that's that's a very real possibility. Yep. Um, I do want to bring up one thing that you, uh, as you were talking, I, I did think about um, Ghostbusters uh, 2016, uh, the one with mm. the all-female cast by mm-hmm. Paul Feig, and Ghostbusters Afterlife, which came out this year. You know, both movies uh, grossed about the same amount, about $120 million, um, but Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to be seen as a success. They're going to be making more money off of that movie because the, the budget was... A fraction of Ghostbusters 2016. Oh, interesting. So I think moving forward, I think a lot of movies, I think if you're going to make these uh, dramas or smaller scale type movies, uh, you know, like The Last Duel, even, uh, you know, the well-known flop from this year, like you can't be spending a hundred million dollars on a movie like that. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, um, I'm looking at the budget for West Side Story. That's a hundred million dollars. Like a musical, I, I, you know, that's like a Marvel. That's the cost of Logan. You know, that the Wolverine movie. Musicals have had a hard time this last year, right? Yeah. And I don't think I don't know. Like musicals should not be getting superhero level budgets because I don't know. It's just like you know, it's, oh, the, Mike, it's such a good looking movie though. <laughs> yeah, it's really so, good. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you see every dollar in that. Yeah. Budget, I, I'm eventually, I'm going to make it, you know, I'm going to make it out to the theater. I will watch it eventually. Um, but I, I think, I think maybe there may be more efficient ways to, to tell those stories. It doesn't have to be a hundred million dollars, right? If you, it could be 75 million and you can recuperate, uh, you know, in, in kind of, you know, uh, at least break even. Um, so that's just something to consider. I think moving forward, uh, I do think the benefit of streaming is that you get to see way more movies. Uh, you have access to way more movies than ever before. Uh, whereas yeah. like now, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see licorice pizza is only playing in LA and New York. That's kind of annoying, you know, that have to like wait while all these other people are like talking about it already. Yeah. Um, I think last year, uh, you know, with, with the pandemic, um, a lot of the movies were released on streaming. So all the best picture, best international film nominees, they were all on Hulu. And I was able to actually watch movies from different countries because of that. So I think there is a benefit of having your movie on streaming. I, I know there's a lot of differing opinions on that. Um, but uh, all right, in closing, uh, <laughs> just, just to bring it back to, to Spider-Man, okay? Um, to a happy place. Yeah, I just want to talk about where I think uh, this could go for the MCU. So I talked a little bit about Sony, my predictions, what Sony could do for the MCU. Um, you know, who else is there to face uh, in the rogue gallery when he's actually faced all of them in this movie? Right. I think maybe one possibility for the next film. Uh, he meets a brand new set of characters. You know, we don't we don't see Zendaya or Ned at all. We don't see either character. They're not in the movie. And I think that's how you kind of address uh, the fact that everyone's memory memories are wiped. That's why I don't think I personally don't think that uh, they're going to undo that. The whole memory wipe thing uh, in the very next movie. I think they're going to bring in a new set of characters. I think we're going to meet Gwen Stacy. 
Um, and I think Tom Holland's going to remember what Andrew Garfield told him about what happened with Gwen Stacy. So he knows this character, this person already. And maybe the film could dance around the fact that Peter knows her fate, but he's trying to resist being in a relationship with her. And, you know, it could be a movie that kind of plays with that. I think maybe a cool surprise could be MJ or Ned returning to Peter's life at the end, very end of that movie. They don't know who he is, but that could disrupt the new life that he's kind of built for himself. Um, but what I, I do think is exciting about where this movie ends with Spider-Man is that he's a Spider-Man that we know from the comics, uh, right? That where he's alone, he's doing everything. He's making his costumes by himself and uh, he, he's, he's a man, right? He has, yeah. to, he has to figure out the balances of supporting himself, but while also being this superhero. And I saw this article, uh, I forgot on which website, I think it might've been Collider, but uh, essentially they were saying how this trilogy, the homecoming, the home trilogy was Spider-Man's origin story in the MCU. It was building up to the point where he could be the Spider-Man that we know from, from the other, from the comics. Yeah. So it's a monumental yeah. achievement, this whole trilogy. It really is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, I think what's, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I like where you're going with this, Mike. Um, that was I wrote some predictions down too because you that was the prompt, and I do feel like there's going to be a couple uh, movies where he can kind of be his own uh, Peter Parker without um, the MCU restraints. I, I think it would be actually I just said MCU restraints, but in in my prediction, I actually feel like there could be a team up with uh, the New York based uh, Marvel characters from the MCU. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, he swings past Rockefeller at Christmas time, um, which is, which just so happens to be when Hawkeye is placed, actually. Yeah, right. So that'll be an, kind of an interesting thing. I think it's not a coincidence Daredevil showed up or um, Matt Murdock showed up in this. So there may be something there as well um, where he kind of gets to. And Kingpin mm -hmm. is yep. classic Spider-Man villains. That's right. So, you know, I think maybe he gets to explore like, being in New York and not like in space fighting a purple alien again, you know, or something right, like that. Right. So I, I think that's kind of cool. Um, and then I think then we will have them come back uh, where, you know, the when the multiverse stuff gets resolved or maybe it doesn't become resolved and becomes a new norm is when maybe like he'll become familiar with his character, his, the older characters again, like MJ and Ned. Um, yeah. I think it, it, oh, sorry, it's not a, it's, uh, it's not a matter of if, but when. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I, I honestly think they're not going to remember. I think he's going to build a new relationship. If anything, a new relationship with uh, MJ and Ned. Mm. Uh, but he has this the memories. Like, this new, yeah, he has well, all these memories that he can't explain to them and tell them. Right, but I guess the other thing is, can, well, it, it was strongly hinted at that he's he's a he was afraid of establishing a relationship with. Of Mary Jane, because he's right. He saw that Band-Aid, and and he might be afraid of putting them in harm's way again. So I'm interested in seeing how that. It, that it might be possible out. some future villain will find a picture or something, because mm. it looks like the pictures weren't wiped away. Like in his box mm. of belongings, there's like a picture of like people he knew. Oh, so hey. someone may find that and put them in danger anyways, and that might be. I have a prediction. I think Miles Morales is actually going to show up not in the MCU, but he, he will show up um, being mentored by Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. Interesting. Whoa. Future thing. 
<laughs> well, it kind of makes sense because it, it, like his his origins are based in in uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man uh, comic book series, and and that's kind of where the Amazing Spider-Man series maybe yeah it's much closer too so yeah true true just a random prediction (laughs) i I prefer all of your guys theories but the truth is that the opening (laughs) shot of the fourth movie is going to be mary jane being like oh shoot i remember peter parker dude (laughs) it's going to be the opening scene dude do do you know what comic book team up with spider-man that i always loved that i hope to see down the line is when he was always working or had some interaction with wolverine so if they could i I would love that so oh my gosh with both versions (laughs) it's going to be hugh jackman and whoever the cast as the next wolverine yeah (laughs) huge jackman (sighs) let's uh let's end with this question okay um Bonus Will fan. Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland be in the same movie again? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay, so this crossover is not a one-time thing. It will happen again. That's your prediction. I, I wish it would be a one-time thing to preserve this movie's like specialness, but I don't it's kind of like it's I'm I'm like falling into my darkest like timelines with with Paul's like uh, premonitions <laughs> here. Can, but can I'm you like guys... it's going to just <laughs> They're just gonna find each other again, over and over again. Yeah, they're just but, gonna be, hey, sub, you want to hang out? I, I have such a great deal of sympathy right now to whoever re- arranged these contracts to even make this happen. That is so true. They're gonna have to do it over and over. So that person deserves an Oscar. Or, or, or <laughs> well, they so. have the uh, they have yeah. the the ground to to rewrite the contracts or renew them now. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I, they're gonna they're gonna hang out with Tony Stark and uh, Black Widow. I noticed in the credits they didn't um they didn't credit Sam Raimi or Mark Webb at all, but like some Sony executive that made this all happen. Yeah, Yeah. Avi Avi Arad. Yeah, Yeah. who's controversial history. Well, not that controversial, but yeah. But I noticed that the credits took a break to acknowledge him. (laughs) It was like a big like block. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, sorry, sidetrack. Well, uh, yeah, I guess this brings us to the end of our discussion about Spider-Man No Way Home. It's a wonderful film. We are so thankful that we got something <laughs> like this. Uh, that was just a huge joy to experience in the theaters together. Uh, no matter what Paul Bayless says. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, we, we, I think we, we all had a great time together. Uh, so Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for making it. If you're still listening, thank you for making it uh, up until this point in the podcast. We will see you next time. We're not done yet. No. The Supreme Leader is wise. I'm sure you are. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky!